Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Catherine Biggs, and welcome to the No Ordinary Yogi podcast. I believe there is no ordinary yogi. Every yogi is a beautiful, unique human with their own story to tell. In this podcast, I'll be speaking to inspiring, extraordinary, real-life yoga students and yoga teachers who'll share their stories about their yoga experiences. Why do we practice yoga? What difference does it make to our lives? We'll be sharing our breakthroughs and our breakdowns, our favourite poses and our most memorable moments from yoga class. May these stories inspire you to continue or start your yoga practice and take a step forward into a more conscious and mindful life. Yoga's for people like us. Yoga is for everyone. Yoga doesn't care if you're young or old, stiff, flexible, tall or short. Yoga meets you where you are. There is no ordinary yogi. Hello and welcome back to the No Ordinary Yogi podcast. In today's episode, I'm speaking to my wonderful, wise friend, Shakti Sue Friston. Shakti and I have known each other for around seven years and she's been incredibly supportive of me, not just in my yoga teaching career, but in my personal life too. As you will hear, Shakti has been teaching yoga for over 30 years. And we talk about how she found yoga in the first place and its importance in her life. We talk about some of the less explored yogic practices. Yes, we did talk about drinking urine. We cover presence and fear of the present moment and the truth about our meditation practices. There are a lot of golden nuggets in this podcast, so you'll just have to listen in to find out what else we talk about. Let's get on with the conversation. And welcome back to the No Ordinary Yogi podcast. Today I'm talking to my good friend, wise woman and fellow yoga teacher, Shakti Sue Friston. Hi. Welcome (laughs) to the podcast, Sue. Thank you for having me. It's, It's really nice, honestly, that you're here. It's such a pleasure. Um, The reason chiefly that I wanted to speak to you is that you've been a yoga teacher for such a long time. Ages. I don't mean to make you sound old, but um, you've been a yoga teacher for over, what, 30 years? 30 years, yes. 85, 86 I started, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll talk about your teacher training, I think, um, presently. But what I'd like to get into with you, first of all, is where did you discover yoga in the first place? And can you remember when? Right at the beginning, I think I first saw it in Canada, actually. I'm, I can't remember whether I had an interest or some awareness of it before 1979 but when I went to Canada to visit my cousin out there one of her hippie friends on the beach in Vancouver Island was constantly standing on his head and standing on one leg and doing various showy offy things and when I came back I did a little bit of Um, I bought a little book, Know the Game. So in the tiny bathroom at home, I did a little bit of basic movement then. But I think I must have come across um, Lynn. Oh, there's a woman with long hair. She had an LP out and you listened to this um, 33-inch album and 33-speed album. And she had hair that you flicked back. And she'd talk you through these practices. So I must have come across it in the 70s, somewhere along the line. Wow. Yoga in the 70s must have been a completely different entity to yoga today. It seemed, seemed to be need leotards, lots of leotards. Think, think of the, um, the, the leggings some of you wear nowadays. Um, and yeah, I suppose it's come back to that in some ways. 
But yeah, there were lots of leotards, black leotards, green leotards, red leotards. Did did they have belts? I seem to remember my oh. mum had oh. a leotard with a belt. Some probably did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the the, the class, first class I went to when I got back from a couple of years after I'd got back from Canada, um, there were no belts. We were into T-shirts and um, and sort of tracksuit bottoms and things. And I was just too, um, shall we say, voluptuous to wear leotards and belts. <laughs> <laughs> Hobbit like chubby is another way of putting that. Hobbit like chubby. You can't say that about yourself. You're a yoga teacher. All right, then. <laughs> when did yoga start to become important to you? Oh, yes, that would have been 81. I think it's 80, 81. Um, I was feeling really sad and tired. I'd had a, um, I'd had an abortion and I wasn't really feeling good about myself or life or anything. So something led me back to try out this yoga class in Malvern. I was living in Malvern at the time. And I remember turning up one time and, and then I just turned away and went away again and then it was about a couple of terms later when I actually made it through the door um, and it was great I was home straight away and it was it was that first class and ever since I knew I was home and yep this is it this is where I belong it was very very clear to me it's funny isn't it because I knew from my very first class as well that I was home <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> and it's not, and it's never changed. Well, there have been a few yoga classes that I've been in thinking, really don't belong here. <laughs> but um, those are different yoga classes, um, and perhaps we'll get onto those later on. But um, so my judgmental mind hasn't changed a lot in the forty years I've been doing this. But yeah, it's toned down a bit. But yeah, generally, it's it, you just know, don't you? You do. You do know. Um, so tell me about the sort of yoga that you do and that you practice and that you teach. Are they the uh, same thing or are they different things? Kind of, yeah, kind of the same thing, really. I, I do a bit more of stuff that I don't necessarily teach. Um, I was trained to teach in the end with the Satyananda Bihar School of Yoga. Um, and the first classes I went to... I'm not sure what they were called then. They were the Desikachar Vini Yoga oh, type. Yeah. They weren't called Vini Yoga back then. I think it was just called Desikachar. It was just Hatha Yoga. and But lots of, not so many sequences. It was more of a, we do this practice. We, we, we explore that. We breathe. We rest. We just become comfortable in this. And then we rest. And then we'll do another practice, another shape. And there was very clear there were some postures, lots of breathing, a specific breathing practice, and then a relaxation at the end. And it was a 90-minute class, and that's the sort I preferably teach if I can. I agree about teaching a 90-minute class. Um, I, I don't think that you can fully explore the practices of yoga um, in less than 90 minutes. Um, I appreciate that people struggle to give themselves 90 minutes these days, but yeah, that's definitely my preference is to teach for 90 minutes. And I appreciate um, my students who turn up every week and give, those, give themselves those 90 minutes. Exactly. Even if it's only one class a week, a 90 minute class, even if because it's not just for the practices you're doing it's giving you time and the as a teacher and a student to do the practices have a bit of time to yourself before you go back out into the rest of the world as well because that's quite important i could, i can't remember who it was originally said the pause is as important as the pose and if you've got a class that you want to fit in x number of poses as well as breathing and an appropriate realignment assimilation time of rest and stillness at the end of the class it you're pushed to do that in in an hour yeah i agree tell me about your teacher training because we were talking about <laughs> it earlier over lunch and it just sounded brilliant <laughs> yeah yes it, it's it came out of 
um, one of the yoga days we used to go on, used to go to a weekly class and then now and again you'd go away on a yoga day, Saturday. And I went to a Saturday yoga day up in Birmingham. And there was this funny Irishman who made us laugh so much I couldn't do half the practices because he was making us laugh or making me laugh. And so I went to Ireland to stay in his yoga center, Ashram, for a while and just work. I was just going to work there. And he um, sent me home about a month after I'd been there. And I was really sad. He said, well, go home, start a class, put, set up a couple of classes and then come back in the summer and do the teacher training course. Because what he taught me in the time I was there and in the years I'd been doing yoga up until then, I'd got enough to be able to start a class. And so he told me that's what he told me to do. And so I did it. And it didn't occur to me to say, oh, I couldn't possibly. So I went back in the July, I think it was, to do the teacher training. And we'd get up at four o'clock in the morning. We'd do the practices that we'd learned the previous day. We'd then do some karma yoga. Um, and for me, that was preferably mowing the lawn, cleaning out the gutters, ripping out an acre of brambles and stuff like that. And then we do we'd have a lecture and another class and drink our own urine and have days of stillness and quiet. Some days we'd get up and we'd have a note put in front of us saying, you're not being fed today. Here's a cup of tea. You will get another one in two hours time. <laughs> in the meantime, do this practice. So you'd go and do this practice. And it was just magical it was just wonderful every single moment of it um wow. because I was just so happy to be told hey you you're telling me what to do I don't have to worry about paying the bills I don't have to worry about getting to work I don't have to think anything beyond what's happening here and now and it was just I was just loving every minute of it even the getting up at four o'clock in the morning so and this was Ireland it was bloody cold <laughs> I bet it was. So tell me about drinking your own urine, because this is a yogic practice. I have never personally done it. Um, what's it like? And what's the proper name for it? Can you remember? Uh, yes, Amaroli. 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 Um, yeah, preferably start off with just perhaps putting your finger, finger or hand in it and just perhaps rubbing it on your skin. So you get used to touching your own bodily fluid, which even that is a ghast, ghastly, ghastly thing for some people, isn't it? Um, but yeah, as long as you haven't drunk, eaten chocolate or I think asparagus and sprouts is the other thing. But if you've eaten <laughs> chocolate and meat, because we, we'd been on a very mm, refined diet, we'd been eating lentils, rice. It's a very refined diet. Um out there so on a fine vegetarian diet your urine is light it's it doesn't smell barely tastes of anything and it's fine and it gets you through a whole layer of walls shall I say resentment and disdain and disgust and resistance all that I um, understand yeah. yeah okay wow yeah and it's awesome, awesome. And if you you start putting it on your skin, especially on your face skin, and it, you just, um, it's really, I don't know why I don't do it now, actually. I, I could do a workshop on this at some point if you want to. <laughs> you could, you could. I think that I find that really interesting, I do. Because I just think yoga teacher trainings these days are not what they were when you did it 30 odd years ago um probably not it's completely <laughs> different kettle of fish yeah it's um and to be fair in those days this was back in the mid 80s um that that was a month long um intense residential that i was on which on the face of it would not appear much different to what's available. You, you can buy three or six weeks out in Spain and do your training out there, can't you? You sure can. But you're not doing that. As far as I can gather, you're not doing your karma yoga. You're not doing your intense practices. Um, and it, it's different. So after our teacher training, 
some of us did come back and we set up an organized two year, 10 weekends over the space of two years training that would replace this intensive residential experience that we had. But even then, even as though it's part of those, you would be expected to have some Amaroli experience, um, lots of neti, um, neti, the pouring water through your nose Absolutely. to cleanse your si- Yep, cleansing your sinuses, working directly on Agni Chakra. That, that would be that would be a practice you do right from the beginning, I think. You see, you introduced me to Neti um, not that long ago. Um, ah. It was definitely something that um, we didn't cover on our teacher training, and that was a practice that you taught me. Oh, good. Is it? Is it? Have you found it useful? I do. It lives in the top of the cupboard. <laughs> And it's it's really good when you've got a bad cold. Yeah, it's and you were saying earlier about something or other. We were talking to someone about doing something for a month, like with neti. Um, it's a good thing to do every morning, whether you need to or not, in the morning. But you have to dry it properly. Lots of people have done neti with tiny little neti lotus, little jugs, and they're just not drying. You know the um, the adequately. Um, using the rapid breathing in and out to dry the nostrils because otherwise you'll just give yourself the symptoms of a cold. So that's, there you go. That's really interesting. You see, so that's workshop number two. There I we go. We'll do say, that. Yeah, this is another thing that you should do a workshop on because it's just not the sort of thing that gets taught in yoga classes these days. No, it, I suppose it's not really. Um, yeah, I did try and teach it in one of my normal classes once. And uh, yeah, it kind of worked, but it wasn't until I was sitting in front of a class with a washing up bowl in front of me thinking, I don't know whether I can hit that or not. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this sort of salt water is going to pour on this room's carpet if I'm not careful. No, it was fine. It went all right. But it was um, I was bold in those days, golly. <laughs> So tell me about what you're up to now in your life. Now I'm teaching a chair yoga class for elders, some of who can stand up um, pretty well, but they do like the reassurance of having a chair under them or next to them with some of the practices. I do a yoga nidra class, a one-off yoga nidra session at separate to another class at a yoga studio in Mole in Worcester and I've also got my own little slow yoga class happening on a Thursday evening here in Malvern but at the moment more I'm not earning I used to be a fully self-employed yoga teacher teaching several classes a week raising kids and things but now I just do a couple of classes a week and I house sit for people and I'm basically recovering from looking after my mum with dementia and looking for new opportunities. <laughs> well, you never know, do you? <laughs> so actually, now that you've mentioned your mum, that's probably a good time um, to talk about how yoga has helped you at certain points in your life. There's been one after another um, various upsets, I think, disruptions, unexpected events, shall we say. Um, Not all involving death, but um, yeah, it's been an interesting time. And yes, from the fact that most of us come to yoga as a result of some physical, mental or emotional need for ease, for restoring health or comfort or something, the abortion that got me to come to yoga in the first place was a good prompting to rebuild my life and yoga certainly helped me with that and for several years I think I was able to move through various changes of work home and relationships without feeling fully connected I can see that now with hindsight But yoga helped me feel kind of calm and just held by the universe. And I was very grateful for that. But then when me and my husband at the time were one of the earlier instances of this this transgender thing, which is a big thing at the moment, 
um, and everybody knows about it these days. It was wasn't the transgender thing so much which caused some disruption, but the way it potentially affected my kids, our children, and various adjustments that had to be made in our lives. And my yoga practice dropped off a little bit at that time. I was busy teaching lots of classes, doing the school run, etc., so I was fortunate and fortunate to feel quite deeply some of the emotional impact of this change. But the yoga did help me get through it without just anesthetizing me with the sort of sense of bliss that you sometimes get with yoga, which is great. Yeah. But I do believe that we need to feel the crap as well. I think but crap's important. Really, really important. And my education on how to live as well as how to do yoga, how to live with yoga and how to use yoga has been, yeah, it's been increased by allowing myself to feel the crap. It gave me the courage to feel the crap, basically. I can can completely relate to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not in in the same way, obviously, but yeah, I I think... um, in in times of trauma, in from my own point of view, in times of trauma, the yoga practice, the actual physical practice, is probably one of the first things that goes out of the window when you're feeling really crappy and it's just very, very difficult to get on your mat. However, mm. the discipline of the breath work that we do, the meditation that we do, I think that's what, what gets you through. Mm. Um, and even if you're not meditating every day, you you still have it ingrained in you, and it's mm. a tool in your toolbox that you can get out and go, ah, you know, yeah. some meditation's going to help me. Yeah, or or not. There's something about the cumulative effect of these practices. There's something in our cellular makeup. It might lie in the way the nadis, that fascia, the connective tissue. Something is connecting the way the synapses are linking that as a result of having been on the mat, of not being on the mat, but standing with full awareness and connectedness to a moment beneath a tree or being willing to connect with your deepest anger and fear uh, or whatever's happening, there's a there's something cumulative about having done the practices, the easy practices, the not so easy practices, just the boring, whatever stuff. And it's, yeah, it's huge. I, I, I would like to be really erudite and smooth talking about this, but it completely baffles me as to how it works. <laughs> but it just does. And it's really important. I become quite militant about this now about it's really important to be able to deal with the shit because lots of people still believe. And for the first two years of yoga, you just think this is the best thing ever. Everyone should do it because it really does bliss you out and gives you a nice life and it all feels fabulous. But if you're still feeling the peace after three years, you're missing the point. I would say, in my humble opinion, I might be wrong. <laughs> but it, it's if if you're still skirting around stuff and still wanting everything to be nice then jolly good i must stop my judgment there <laughs> <laughs> i think you're right i think you're right and i i you know as a modern yoga teacher i i feel able to speak about modern yoga and say that i don't think the majority of yoga students these days ever get to peel back more than a couple of superficial layers of their onion. Mm. Um, and, and that's where it ends. And that, do you know, that's absolutely fine. If, but, but some people choose to take it deeper. Yes, absolutely. Oh yes, absolutely. And if that's all you want yoga for is to just, um, yeah, get a fit body and to sweat and feel that you've done something else. Um, and to have the right kit, of course, because you can have your Lululemon sits and your fancy mats and things. Um, absolutely fine. 
Um, but it's such a valuable, valuable thing to have when the shit hits the fan. And if most of us have lives that are so full of change and uncertainty to which we're hugely resistant most of the time, it's it, it's and there's a lot of fear out there. We're being encouraged to feel a lot of fear and we must not let ourselves be indoctrinated with this fear and hatred and division and if there's anything that can help us stay close and connected with ourselves and to have the courage to be connected to other people yoga is one of the things that will get you there those are fantastic words really fantastic i would i could never have put it so succinctly I look forward to hearing what I said. I have no idea. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. Basically, your ability to do a handstand is not going to get you out of the shit once the shit hits the fan. <laughs> Possibly not. I, I, you see, I've never done a hand or a headstand. Um, but there is something about... And people will approach this in different ways. Um, the tenacity and the discipline that some people have with their bodies and with some of these physical practices... Uh, is another route and it's one I don't know about um, but I'm wondering also the possibility of being able to avoid stuff by always being strong by being disciplined you it, it becomes another avoidance technique just as going to bed and crying can be an avoidance um, there are times when both are needed you know avoidance crying and strength and discipline but yeah you've got to ask yourself doing yoga in the first place really and and maybe it takes a death maybe it takes a deeply shocking upsetting traumatic loss or shift to stop people in their tracks and wake them up maybe some people go through an entire life without ever being stopped in their tracks but to me, the richness of life is something about being willing to turn up for the possibility of failure and the possibility of loss. Um, and I know a lot of us and many people have used yoga as a way of avoiding connection. It's a way of detaching, not being connected, just, you know, not not being there at all because I'm I'm above all that. I don't need to feel that. Um, and I think to some extent in the 80s and 90s, that, that's, a lot of that happened. Whereas now there, there is more possibility for using yoga as a connection, as a deep breath space. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think I went off there. No, but no it completely makes sense. It was lovely. <laughs> it was really, really good. I'm thinking. So can you... Tell me about a student that's that's touched your heart or tell me about a student that's that's changed your practice. Oh, that's a good one. Um, let me have a think. It, it's there's been so many in many ways. I, I, I became alert to this whole mirroring thing. When you, if there's somebody that really either pisses you off or you find it difficult to relate to, there's invariably a mirroring thing going on. It works the same as if you think someone's, she's just so beautiful and talented and clever. There's probably a little bit of mirroring going on there as well, but we don't see it, do we? We're not prepared to see that. Of course not. So this mirroring thing, um, I remember seeing one student and you could see she was being on her best behavior. She, when she first asked to join my class, she was on the phone for about half an hour telling me about all these other classes and other teachers that she'd been to and had over the years in the different places she'd lived. And um, I liked her. She was, she was an interesting woman. But I could see her in class. She was just doing it well so she could be seen to be doing it well. And I thought, I wonder how much of that is in me. I, I wonder if I do that just to be seen, to be doing it well without actually feeling what's happening inside. I, I kind of wanted to see proof that she was disappearing inside herself. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah. 
Um, and, and right at the end, I had to leave that area where I was teaching. Right at the end, she, she was about to leave the class anyway. And she said, well, I know what you're going to say before you say it now. And I was always taught that one of the reasons for some phrases to be repeated is that eventually the, the student gets to drop below that. They get the deeper level of it because you, you, you're not hearing the words anymore. You, you're so familiar with the practice and with the words that something else happens for you in that practice. And I, I kind of realized that she was missing the deeper levels. She wasn't allowing herself to drop below the levels of resistance and familiarity. And I reckon I have done and probably continue to do that in some areas. There's a sense that, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to go there. That's just too awkward. And that's fine. I, mean, I think we all have permission to not face the really rough stuff before we're ready for it. But it's now and again, I've, I've thought about her and she's the one that comes to mind. There, there's been several over the years. I think mm. what you've just said has got a lot to do with presence. Absolutely. Um, I notice in my own in my own teaching, my own classes, that it's students that I've had for quite a long time and yes, they do get familiar with what you're doing um, and things and and sometimes, you know, we'll we'll step forwards from a downward dog for argument's sake and, and nine times out of ten we stand up from that downward dog and there'll be one student who's still down there in a forward bend and she's not come up yet and I'll, I'll quite often say to said students, because um, there's, there's definitely, it happens to a lot of them, actually, um, that I'll say to them, are you OK? And they'll say, oh, God, I was just down there thinking about what I've got to pick up from Waitrose on the way back to the car. And no. Yeah, these are students, you know, that I've had for quite a long time. And, you know, I bang on about presence um, and just feeling your feet on the floor I always make them feel their feet on the floor and yet you know sometimes it's just difficult to be present isn't it and you don't even realize that you're not present until your yoga teacher points it out to you absolutely yeah yeah that's true yes and it's presence in its willingness to be present and the present moment may be full of the list of waitros and what should have happened then and what could have done and I've still got to do that and this is hurting and that's not as good as it used to be or whatever. Um, so the present moment can include all of those things but it's about the witnessing and being aware of all that rather than actually being immersed in the waitros list. Yeah, Because what I thought you were going to say is like they're there still in the forward bend from their dog pose just really getting into that feeling of beingness and what's happening in their hips and their pelvis and their back and their heart space and their Svadistan or whatever. But no, they're thinking about their list. Okay, <laughs> that's disappointing, isn't it, really? I think that's why what we do is so hugely important, this presence alchemy that we have. <laughs> I might yes. actually change my LinkedIn bio to presence alchemist or something instead of yes. yoga teacher. Yes, something like that. <laughs> and and what is our resistance to being in the present? What what is it now? What are we going to miss? What why what would happen if we were just here right now? It's amazing, it, it, isn't it? I, yeah. And sometimes it can feel great but sometimes often the only time that we feel really present is one of those really really awkward moments when we don't know what to say somebody else doesn't know what to do or say or somebody just has something awkward and it's just too painful or embarrassing or shameful or I don't know what it is I'm just making stuff up now but it's what is it? What is it? At? What's our fear? What are we going to find? What are we afraid of finding in this present moment? Absolutely. I spoke, um, it was fairly recently, actually, I spoke to my sister about being present. 
and um, I think it was about getting a, getting out of her own head and, and getting away from a desk at work because she's got a desk job. Um, and she mm. said, oh, well, I do. I, um, I go down the fag shed and have a quick fag and uh, I stand there and I have a good think. Okay. And I said to her, what do you think about? And she went, oh, all of the things that I haven't got time to think about while I'm sat behind my desk. Mm. And I was like, so you don't ever, ever just think about nothing or give yourself the chance to think about nothing. And she was like, no, no. I, and I think it's just an alien concept to some people, not wanting to take anything away from my sister because she's probably going to listen to this at some point. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's just an illustration of... of what modern life is like is that we often complain that we don't have time to think mm. and oh my god we don't have time to think that's just crazy well we're mainly thinking 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 is what we're mainly doing exactly. and and beyond that we're actually making up stories about what is happening and if we were, were to begin because in some ways being present isn't isn't necessarily about having a no thinking time or an empty time. It's that's why the practice of pratyahara, which is um, that withdrawal of senses, yes. and you withdraw the senses by being fully aware of the sounds, fully aware of the touch, the contact of whatever's the body's in touch with, fully aware of the breath, the touch of air, fully aware of the smells, fully aware of the tastes fully aware of the sights that you can see this is why you close your eyes so that having been fully aware of all these you then slowly withdraw your senses your attention away from these senses and find out what else is in there so it, it's that two-way thing about being fully present with the sounds like if you're standing in the fat shed you're looking at the beams you're aware of the building the trees that can be seen, hearing the birds, the traffic, the, you know, there's so many senses in that. I could almost be in the fag shed myself if I hadn't given up cigarettes, obviously. But if she wants me to roll one, I'll be down there with her, you know. So all that, the whole thing, even using a memory of something like that, it, it's practicing, isn't it? Just being fully connected with a particular set of experiences and senses so that when you start coming inwards to be aware of your breath there's a different experience of the the breath and the stories that you're telling yourself that are coming up in your head because without that practice you don't see the line between what is your stuff and what is really happening yes you you are not your thoughts and no. unless you're present, you, you can't really recognise that. You can't. And it and presence comes and goes. I don't think most of us, even the, I always, always remember a monk who'd been in one of these um, ashrams or monasteries, retreats for years and years and years. And after about 25 years, he said, yes, I have once been able to stay fully focused on two consecutive breaths. Once. In all that time, the rest of the time he'd be worrying about this or that and thinking about dinner and what's for tea and that. So it was quite encouraging. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, I quite often actually, because um, I do six minutes of meditation or I just tend to call it sit um, at the beginning of my classes and quite often I'll come out of that six minutes and, and share something or another with my class and I'll say to them I was present for about one breath during the yes. whole of that meditation yep because I think it's important for us as teachers not to actually put ourselves on these pedestals. It's important for us to keep it real. Um, you know, none of us walking around, or very few of us anyway, are enlightened beings as such. And, yeah. you know, we're all, we're all human. Absolutely. And even when you're enlightened, apparently you're still human. Even after you're enlightened, you're still chopping wood, heating the water and doing the washing up and cleaning the toilets aren't you <laughs> it's the same stuff it's just you're doing it in a different way 
that's very true. And yes, you're, you're quite right. It's really important that students don't think that you're sitting there for six minutes completely meditating. I don't think I've meditated ever. I do lots of practices preparing for the state of meditation. My body can now sit still without fidgeting or becoming gangrenous for quite a long time now. And my mind is often less disturbing now. But I wouldn't say I meditate because um, I, I sit mm. and, and it's good and I like it. And the postures, the practices of asana and stuff have enabled my body to become capable of sitting and standing and moving about. But the, the real work is in the stillness, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. Um, the, the postures are secondary um, to the stillness and the stillness that you find within yourself. Absolutely. It's, it's the stillness within. And, and also, there was one of your questions you were saying about, I heard about the, um, the kind of what, what's the, the, the most um, important thing that happened in a class or somewhere. And it was the realization that I could just start being nice to myself. <laughs> or kind. I think it was even a matter of being kind to myself. Because I've been brought up to be nice to people and not be a nuisance and always be pleasant and nice. And that's just sickening. I think we, sh we should all stop just being nice for the sake of it. But we could be kinder to ourselves. And the realization that what would happen if I just, instead of all this busyness in my mind, most of which was deep self-loathing and horrible stuff, I, that could just stop. Yeah. And, and what would happen and I can uh, be kind to myself. Yeah. Yeah, you're quite right, because we're told to be nice to other people, but I don't think it's ever um, taught to you or ingrained in you that you need to be nice to yourself as well as other people. Yeah, absolutely. How dare you speak to yourself like that? Stop it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, there's a, uh, somebody did this experiment where they played back um, I don't know, they, they somehow got the dialogue that somebody had had in their own head. And then they got this person sitting in a cafe and two people sitting next at the next table were saying this dialogue to each other. And she was appalled. She said, oh, she recognized it eventually for what it was, her self-talk, because a lot of it was very familiar, but appalled that people would talk to each other like that. Quite. If, if I spoke to you in the way that I speak to myself sometimes, there's no way that we'd be friends. Probably not. Or, you know, or we'd be such deep buddies. It's like, yeah, I know. Hey, you bitch. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, cow. <laughs> but, but again, that's it, isn't it? It's like we're just, it's, it's all just unbalanced, and how did we get onto this? Sorry, have we drifted off a bit? Sorry. Oh, I don't know. We'll pull it back again at some point. <laughs> In the, that's what editing's for, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so what I thought I'd do, actually, is just um, maybe we could lighten it slightly um, and ask you about just what your favourite poses are. Poses? Oh, I don't really do poses anymore. Um, I, th there's some nice cat variations that I like and, um, I know the half shoulder stand, I'm not very adept at it, but I know it's really good for me to, um, it makes me feel good and happy when I've done it. And yeah, there's lots of nice things I like doing, none of which are taught in any of the modern yoga classes I've been to recently, I have to say. Well, tell the podcast what you like doing and then we'll talk about modern yoga classes. <laughs> okay. okay, so um, my go-to practice is still the old-fashioned salute to the sun where there's not a plank in sight. You don't hold dog very long. And um, I just like pose the child as well. 
Is it still called Pose the Child? Child Pose? Child Pose, yeah. Child Pose. And Simharson the Lion. Mm. <laughs> Quite like that. Yeah, that's a great one for getting rid of anger and stuff. Yes, and chopping wood. There's a, there's a sequence in our yoga called Pavanmuktasana 3, the Shakti Banda series. So I used to have quite a lot of fun with crow walking, but there's a, there's a practice called chopping wood, traditionally taught in the squatting pose, but you can also do it sitting or standing. Um, and that's quite good. You imagine you've got a, a block of wood in front of you and you're just chopping down onto it with great force with an out breath and possibly breathing out with a loud i won't say it into the microphone now but shouting as you do the ha sound fantastic i i know that one (laughs) really really good and it's such a great thing to teach as well because you you show them the 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 shape of it what you do and then you you just say and breathing in and with a breath out, and you just do the sharp ha, and it just <laughs> it just wakes them all up. <laughs> I can see how that would be really, really useful in a class context. I might start doing that. <laughs> it can be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be – some venues are better placed for that. Some venues you wouldn't really want to do it because, you know. It just causes disturbance with the neighbours, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> if you're teaching in the church hall and you've got a mother and baby class in the next room, then it's probably not the best place. <laughs> probably not. There you go. <laughs> so we were talking actually at lunchtime, weren't we, about modern yoga classes. And you've attended a few yoga classes recently. And um, you, you had some interesting insights, I thought, into the way that it's taught these days and, and what happens and the the yeah tell me <laughs> yes and um i have been to a couple of good yoga classes recently uh, lots of yeah good couple of good teachers they're nice and slow and gentle they give you lots of time and space to do what you need to do um and they demonstrate and they don't just do the practice with the whole class and there's lots of time but s- most of the other classes i've been to it's taken me th- four years to find those teachers i've dropped into a few other yoga classes and every single class that i tried out it seems to be all downward dogs and various variations of what you can do from a downward dog sweeping up into a warrior pose or back into a plank and hold that for whatever long and then we're going to do the same thing over and over again throughout the class only quicker And if there's any time for, there's never any time for any actual pranayama or seated breathing at the beginning or end of the class. And some of them had some time of sitting, lying down in Shavasana at the end, but not sufficiently for the degree of movement that had happened to me, most of the physical bodies, no matter how fit and strong your body is, and I really appreciate the strengthening effect on a lot of these practices, because what was missed in the 80s, it was mainly flexing and stretching. There wasn't a lot of emphasis put on the strengthening practices. So I'm honoring the fact that you can become very strong doing some of these modern yoga classes. But a lot of us are coming from fairly sedentary lives or lives where there has been let's say skipped over or ignored issues of difficulty won't say the word trauma necessarily but the stuff the body memory stuff stuck in people's bodies needs to be paid attention to and if you move quickly through all these postures not only are you missing what's happening at the time in your different layers of body, mind and spirit, but you're not even getting the chance at the end of the class to let that assimilate. Um, and I think people can get away with that for two, three years, maybe, maybe longer. I don't know, because obviously I'm ignorant to this level, but I'm just concerned that there's too many classes are too fast and too strong without giving people the time to pay attention 
to what's happening inside them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Have you got a good fart story from class? Fart stories. Oh, yeah, we were right. We were always given permission to cough, fart, sneeze, cry, sniff, blow noses. So farting was always acceptable. But the one fart time that I remember is when I confused farts with the crackling sound. You know how your body sometimes cracks, your joints crack as you stand up or sit down or move or whatever. And this poor woman had got up and I already said something in class about, oh, it's good when your joints crack because the ancients say it's when air is being released from the body. But then when this woman went as she got up, I looked at her and before I could even think what I was saying, I said, oh, was that you? Thinking it was her joints being and about to congratulate her. But then horrifying, I think she'd actually farted. And now I'm an old woman. I understand those farts. They kind of come out like a farty old woman fart. <laughs> and it was, oh, my God. I can't remember whether she, whether she came back or not. She wasn't a regular. I think yeah. live and let live at yoga class because, you know, some of my students probably towards the um, upper end of the age uh, racket that I teach some of them are genuinely worried about breaking wind in a yoga class and oh. I just kind of say well live and let live you know if you've got to do it you've got to do it it's definitely better out than in and most of the time they don't smell that much I, I, I very rarely had although in the old days we used to have incense burning didn't we nag champa was burning in every class but you know they very rarely you don't have these nasty whiffy farts that you know if you're out down a pub and old men are farting that's a whole different thing isn't it but <laughs> yeah but yeah truly as you get as you get older I just became a farty old woman I was walking down my front path once and I was like every step it was like <laughs> what the hell's that <laughs> Jesus <laughs> it's just a fact of life isn't it it's everybody it seems to be yes everybody (laughs) does it (laughs) so would you have any advice for somebody that's thinking about starting yoga for the first time they've never been to a yoga class in their life and they think oh i need to do yoga um because my doctor says or my daughter recommended it or for whatever reason um have you got any sort of words of wisdom or tips? Or <laughs> Yes, I'd encourage them to, um, well, how do you tell someone to find the right class? I mean, ideally, you, you speak to the yoga teacher first. Don't go to a gym class. And I would suggest, horrors of horrors, because I love, there's so many lovely, lovely yoga studios, including yours at the mm. round. But there's something about finding the right teacher and finding the right class. And you generally, you're okay once you find the right teacher for you. Because the the daughter's favorite teacher might not be the right teacher for you. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. And you've got to ask why you're doing, what, why you're wanting to do it. Because it's, if you're do, doing it just because someone else tells you, Mm, I think even if a doctor tells you, it's it's a dodgy thing, isn't it, really? Because you need to be doing it because you want to do it. I was just going to say, I, had, um, I was covering a class down at one of the local um, gym places mm-hmm. um, for someone. And um, I, taught, I covered this class before and it, we were just about to start and the door opened and this ancient old lady walked through the door and she'd driven quite a way to get to this class and I I can only imagine that somebody had dropped her off because when I invited her to come and sit on the floor she said oh well it might take me a moment because I had a hip replacement and I said oh when did you have a hip replacement? And she said, oh, about two weeks ago. Oh, my God. My doctor told me to come to yoga because he thought it'd be a good idea for my rehabilitation. Mm. 
maybe talk to a teacher exactly talk to the bloody teacher before you just turn up at a class exactly this is why you should never go to yoga at a gym unless no. you've been to yoga at a gym before and you know what you're doing exactly and it's the whole thing about drop-in classes really don't get me started on drop-in classes because we haven't got time but <laughs> um it's so dissatisfying for the teachers, no, I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm known for my sweeping generalizations. But if you, particularly if you're coming on the advice of a doctor and for rehabilitation, recuperation things, really you need to find a class that you have to pay for half a term at a time, which, you know, while you're still looking for a good class and the right class, the right teachers, a difficulty. But, um, yeah, you might luck out the first time, might the first one, but I'd, I'd keep, if any advice I'd give would be to know that there's lots of different kinds of yoga and different kinds of teachers out there. So until you find the right one, don't give up. It, it's definitely worth doing. And if you don't find the right class or the right teacher for you right away, know that you will eventually find one. How you go about finding that one don't know <laughs> well there's a lot of yoga teachers out there these days so um word of mouth i think is always a good one um don't necessarily pick the first one that you see on facebook who's got the nicest advertising yeah that's good because some of us very good teachers obviously you are an exception to this cat you've got excellent advertising and you're an excellent yoga teacher but some of us excellent yoga teachers out there are completely crap at advertising <laughs> so you know but so, find them. But yeah, where can we find you if um, we do want to find you? Oh, you can find me on Facebook under Slow Yoga Malvern, and you can private message me on that one. If you haven't got a internet or prefer not to do it via internet, you can contact me. Do you want my phone number? You could put my phone number on this, couldn't you? I could. I could put your phone number on the show notes. Contact details and my profile. And yeah, um, so and I'm also available for like one-off workshops and things. I'd love to do a few sort of two hours or half day or even full day workshops at your place if ever you've got time and space. Although your space is quite full, isn't it? It is, yeah, but I've got big plans for this year about um, getting Sunday afternoons full of interesting things. Ooh. Yeah, the, yeah, you know, not necessarily yoga, but definitely yoga-related practices. Mm-hmm. Great, um, okay, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. And I can also be found at Malvern Death Cafe. I The other thing I do at the moment, is um, we talk about death and dying and at the moment that's happening once a month regularly at Great Malvern Hotel on the last Monday afternoon of the month between two and four and we have an occasional one in Upton and elsewhere as well but uh, yeah so give me a call sometime <laughs> fantastic all right I have one last burning question for you mm-hmm does pineapple belong on a pizza, yes or no? Yes, I'm afraid it does. Oh, Shakti, you've let me down. Oh, really? <laughs> but not on the same pizza that's got um, salami, pepperoni and olives on, obviously, because that would be hideous. You only put pineapple on when there's ham and you pick the pineapple off and eat it separately. <laughs> obviously. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for the insight. <laughs> Thank you, my dear. Well, our Shakti, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you today. Um, I've really enjoyed it. We've spent a lot of time together today and it's been a real privilege. So Thank you. Thank you, thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. Hope some of it's usable. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, love. Have you on. Thank you, my love. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Ordinary Yogi. If you liked what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review this podcast, as it really makes a difference and it'll only take you a tiny moment of your time. 
If you'd like to continue the conversation or ask me any questions, come and connect with me over on Instagram at NoOrdinaryYogi or visit the website www.noordinaryyogi.yoga where you can send me a message or join the mailing list to stay up to date with what we're up to. If you're local to Malvern, Worcestershire in the UK and you fancy joining us for a yoga class at the studio, please visit www.greatmalvernyoga.co.uk and you'll be able to see the complete timetable of classes we offer. Have an amazing day and I'll catch you in the next episode. These are the messy bits. Gushing about people's um, lives and achievements is actually a little bit embarrassing when you're doing it sort of face to face. Yes, and you hear it on the Hay House things. They go, oh, it's so amazing. I've known this person for so long. And remember when we were in Bar High together and it's like, oh, shut up. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs)